We're leaving it up throughout the sermon because it's going to be so helpful to us to understand the virtues and the fruit of God's Spirit. Thank you, Tim. I get to see it happen three times today, and every time I'm going, oh, I see. Like, I think I finally just got what the little orange dots mean at the end. I think that's us. God's people all over the world that are infused and filled with the fruit of the Spirit. Wow. Woo! Hoo-wah! Good morning, everyone. Uh, a joy to, to have this privilege to open God's Word with us. Uh, earlier this week, my son got home. He's 26 years old, and he travels for his work all over the United States, and and then we'll sometimes just kind of show up and say, hey, Dad, Mom, I'm home for a while. So one of our traditions, ever since he was a little boy, is we would go to movies together. So the first day Eric got home this week, I said, hey, son, I don't have to work tonight. Spider-Man is a, it has been released. And so since we have done, starting with Lion, Witch, and the Wardrobe when he was this high, through all of the Lord of the Ring fantasy movies and now almost everything that comes out in the superheroes we go to see it and I'm a huge fan of it because I'm a huge fan of fantasy as a way to point toward truth and so we had a great time with it Uh, a month earlier Marie and I went to see Wonder Woman and Wonder Woman is fantastic we have our first true woman superhero who's as good on the inside as she is powerful on the outside so all of that's really exciting for me now you say what's this got to do with the fruit of the Spirit well just about everything and so I'll see if I can make a case for it here you see all great fantasy literature whether it be film or or written has has heroes who have special abilities, powers, but who are invested intrinsically with a goodness that causes them to use their power for right. And they're fighting against evil. Okay? Have I just kind of defined the real world? The necessity of God's people infused with His gifts and His intrinsic nobility who go out to make a wrong world right. It's, it's simply, they're just archetype stories for us, and, and, and they're wonderful. Billy Graham said this, man has two great spiritual needs. The first is for forgiveness. The other is for goodness. Consciously or unconsciously, his inner being longs for both of them. Consciously or unconsciously, his inner being longs for them both. Hold on just a second. Friends, you're going to be really happy if my stopwatch works. I don't know. Okay, there we go. So the sermon just started, okay? <laughs> Eric's going, ha-ha, Lon, come on. <laughs> Scared me too, Eric. And now Eric's thinking, but you don't pay attention to it anyway. Um, Billy Graham, two great human needs and longings that we have. One is for forgiveness and the other is for goodness. See, Christianity, the good news of Jesus Christ, contains both. Let us never forget, as often as some of us have heard it, if we confess our sins, He is faithful and righteous to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all our unrighteousness. Wow. 
forgiveness of God through Christ and the goodness of God. It is better I go away, says Jesus, for when I go away, I will send the Spirit. And the Spirit will literally be God who imparts himself to us to start living out the nature and the virtue and the wonder of Godness. Your God-led life can look like this. That's, that's the beauty of it. And I love what Tim did with it. I love every single one of these. If you will, you can apply these to all of history and the longing for humankind to truly be able to exhibit what it is to be good, what it is to be virtuous, what St. Paul calls to be laden with ripening fruit in all of these arenas. Wow. Today... We are going to, <laughs> you thought I was going to write on it, no. Uh, is Tim here? He's probably, probably stepped out, but that would have fried him. That would have been great, yeah. I could draw a little stick, man. Um, <laughs> but today we are focusing on this one, faithfulness. And even the way he wrote it, and I said this to him after the first, in the first hour, I said, it's got a sense of chivalry to it. It looks like Middle Ages, ooh, I touched it. It looks like Middle Ages script. And so I think of the first great literature characters that exhibit this kind of quality of life. King Arthur and the round table, faithfulness. So let's, let's spend our time today uh, jumping into that and remember that we're to have all the fruit all the time. But faithfulness, here we go. All right, here's how I define faithfulness. Firm adherence to promises and duty. A firm adherence to our promises and our duties. Once again, third time, because I didn't give you a, a, a PowerPoint for it. A firm adherence to our promises and our duties. Now, what would the opposite be? Sometimes it helps us to understand by thinking of the opposite. The opposites would be, if, if, if faithfulness is dependability, truthfulness, and loyalty, which is what I'm going to argue, that it is dependability, trustworthiness, and loyalty, the opposite of that, or unfaithfulness, would be undependable, unreliable, and disloyal. God calls us to faithfulness, and God is faithful, so he wants to birth it and grow it in us. I'm going to hit on three categories today. Number one, how to be faithful to others, how to be faithful to others. The second one is how to be faithful to God, and the third, the faithfulness of God to us. Now, you ought to be seen right at the beginning. You say, my goodness, how would I ever live up to even the definition you gave? And the answer is, of course, you can't. We are completely dependent on God to reveal and birth and grow this in us. So you've got to, by faith, believe in Jesus Christ and know him before you have any hope of consistent living of the virtues. And so if you have one takeaway that you take home with you today, it would be this line. It takes faith in God to be a faithful person. It takes faith in God to be a faithful person. Okay? All right, here we go. Let's talk about it. What does faithfulness to others look like? And Lon wants to give you three words here. 
dependability, trustworthiness, and loyalty. Let's start with dependable. Now, I chose a verse for each one of these attributes, if you will, of faithfulness. And for the first one, dependability, I chose from Psalm 15, 4, he who keeps an oath even when it hurts. He who keeps his oaths, his promises, even when it hurts. Dependability. Think of David and Jonathan in the Old Testament. Think of Jonathan as the heir to the throne of Israel. And then this, this young rising star comes along who has a special anointing from God. And he is to be the king. And Jonathan becomes the kind of dependable friend who sees what God is doing and comes alongside the one who will rise above him and promises his total support for the rest of his life. It will be one of the things that support Jonathan gives to David that will lead to Jonathan's death. Think similarly of David's complete commitment to Jonathan that while Jonathan is alive, they are companions in arms and companions in life. And that even after Jonathan is killed, David will be fully dependable to care for Jonathan's family when he is gone. Dependability. If David and Jonathan don't work for you, how about Woody and Buzz? You've got a friend in me. You know it? Do da 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 da. You got a friend in me. It's the song that rings through the whole Toy Story saga. And I understand they're making another one now, and I can't wait. The story of loyalty, the story of dependability, the story of always being there for one another. Dependable. You can depend on me. All right, the second aspect of faithfulness to others that I put down is trustworthy, trustworthy. And the verse I chose for that is do not steal, do not lie, do not deceive one another from Leviticus chapter 19. So what are we saying about trustworthiness? It's, it's being a truthful person. T for T, trustworthiness is being truthful. Truth, to have truth pervading every area of our lives. To not steal, to not overtly lie, and to not even covertly use deceit. You don't have to lie overtly to be lying covertly. Well, we call it, well, I just shaded the truth just a little bit there. No, trustworthiness is knowing that, that what that person says they mean with all their heart and they have your best in mind. There's another verse, we didn't make a PowerPoint of it, but it's really good. It says, faithful are the wounds of a friend. Someone who's really trustworthy and truth-telling will sometimes even in love need to wound us that we might see some truth or blind spots in our own lives. We talked about that a little bit last week, didn't we? Truthfulness. Truthfulness in the inner man. Dependable. You can depend on me. Truthful. Truth pervading every area of life. And then the third attribute I chose for faithfulness is loyal. Loyal. 
Uh, the text, Proverbs 17, 17, a friend loves at all times. A friend loves at all times. And a friend especially loves when it's not a good time to be loyal to you. Case in point, Charlie Brown and Linus. Now forgive me, friends, I'm going back into the deep archives of Pastor Lon's life. And in 1980, I played the uh, role of Charlie Brown in You're a Good Man, Charlie, Charlie Brown, in the musical. And so I really got into uh, Charles Schultz and that whole thing. And, that, and if you, how many of you have ever seen You're a Good Man, Charlie Brown on stage? Okay, it's, it's, it still comes up all the time. Um, it starts with the cast off stage, except for Charlie. He's on the stage, walking around being Charlie Brown. And then from backstage, he can hear what is happening. His friends are talking about him. Schroeder starts it and says, that Charlie Brown has never pitched a winning baseball game. That Charlie Brown has never been able to keep a kite in the air. Remember? Then Lucy jumps in, says, uh, and, uh, on the other side of the stage, and she says, Linus, you're his friend. Take a good look at his face. That face of Charlie Brown is a failure face if you've ever seen one. Nice to have friends like that, huh? What the actors are trying to get across is that they're, they're talking behind his back. Patty joins in. She says he's selfish, he's self-centered, and he's moody. Okay? So <laughs> all of this is happening. But he's got a friend. You got a friend in me. He's got a friend, and his friend's name is Linus. Linus will be there for him. He goes out to Charlie Brown. He says, oh, Charlie Brown, don't be upset. In other words, don't be upset by the stuff you've seen. He says, Charlie Brown, science has proven, because he's kind of an intellectual, isn't he? Linus is a little bit of an intellectual. He says, science has proven that a person's personality isn't fully formed until they're at least five years old. So in other words, you got time to get all this right. Charlie Brown responds. He says, Linus, I'm already older than five. In other words, Linus was trying. It just didn't help much. So then he says, well, you've got nice hands. Loyalty, loyalty. you got nice hands. We are to be Linus's, Charlie Brown's in our lives. And they are to be Linus's to us when we're awful Charlie Brown-like. Remember the, the Christmas, yeah, You're a Good Man, Charlie Brown, in the, in the Christmas one where Charlie Brown's directing the Christmas play? How many of you have ever seen this? It's been on since like uh, the day after Jesus rose from the dead. It's been on TV that long, okay? And Charlie Brown's the director of the play, and he's not doing that well. And so Lucy says, well, go get a Christmas tree for the play. And what kind of a tree does he get? A big, beautiful, noble pine? No, it's a little scraggly one that when you shake it, all the needles fall off. And that's really Charlie Brown's portrait of what he thinks about himself. And he brings it back, and he puts it on the stage, and the whole gas goes, you can't even do that right! But then intellectual poet, theologian Linus steps in. He takes his magic blanket, whips it around his head, and turns into a shepherd. He says, let me tell you what Christmas is really all about. 
And then you have the lights go down and he tells the story of the coming of the Christ who will be the one who makes everything wrong right in all of us. Charlie Brown and Linus. Loyalty. Faithfulness is dependable. David and Jonathan, Woody and Buzz. Faithfulness is truthfulness pervading every area of our lives. Faithful are even the wounds of a friend. And faithfulness is loyalty. Wow. I, I sum this section up of faithfulness to others with simply this. I went back and I pulled out my book where I have all the services for weddings and for baptisms and, and funerals and the like. And I went back to the marital vows. See if this doesn't describe faithfulness. I do promise and covenant before God and these witnesses to be your faithful husband in plenty and in want, in joy and in sorrow, in sickness and in health until the end of my days. Look at that word again, faithfulness. Gigantic. When we exhibit this, we make the world a better place. And remember, God fully intends to birth it and grow it in your life. Okay? Faithfulness to others. There's a flip side, though. Not only faithfulness to others, but faithfulness to God. What does it mean to be faithful to God? For this, I'd like you to open to a passage, please. In Matthew chapter 25, Matthew chapter 25. As you're turning to it or turning it on in your Bibles or using one of our Bibles on the seat backs, uh, I'll simply do the setting for you. The setting of Matthew 25 is Jesus is still alive and on planet Earth. And this is really close to before he goes to the cross, but his disciples don't know that. And Jesus is sitting on the Mount of Olives and he has looked across the Mount of Olives and he can see the great temple and the walls of Jerusalem. And he literally says, all of that is going to be destroyed. And the disciples are taking a, a, a chance. And then he says to them, a new age is coming. So with that in the setting, they then say to him, what will be, in fact, let me read the exact verse. It's in 24, verse 3. Matthew 24, verse 3. As Jesus is sitting on the Mount of Olives, the disciples said to him, Tell us, they said, when will all this happen? And what will be the sign of your coming? The, the word we use for that is the parousia. What will be the sign of your appearing and of the end of the age? What will it be? Another thing they're asking is, what should we do? And then Jesus gives them three stories, three parables. Okay, so you got that setting now of what's going on? I'm going to use the second story starting in verse 14. Let me read it to you. Again, it, what we mean by this, is this coming, his second coming and all of that. Okay, again, it will be like a man going on a journey who called his servants and entrusted his wealth to them. To the one he gave five bags of gold, to another two bags, and to another one bag, each according to his ability. 
Then he went on his journey. The man who had received five bags of gold went at once, put his money to work, and he gained five bags more. So also the one with two bags of gold gained two more. But the man who had received one bag went off, dug a hole in the ground, and hid his master's money. After a long time, the master of those servants returned, and he settled accounts with them. Verse 20. The man who had received five bags of gold brought the other five. Master, he said, you entrusted me with five bags of gold, and I have gained five more. His master replied, well done, good and faithful servant. You've been faithful with a few things. I'll put you in charge of many things. Come and share your master's happiness. It's the same word for joy. So you could say, come and share your master's joy. The man with two bags of gold came. Master, he said, you entrusted me with two bags of gold. See, I have gained two more. And his master replied, well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful with a few things. I'll put you in charge of many things. Come and share your master's happiness. Then the man who had received one bag of gold came. Master, he said, I knew that you are a hard man, harvesting where you do not sow and gathering where you do not scatter. So I was afraid, and I went out, and I hid your gold in the ground. See, here, here it is. It, it, it is what belongs to you. And his master replied, You wicked, lazy servant, so you knew that I harvest where I have not shown and gather where I have not scattered seed. Well, then you should have put my money on deposit with the bankers so that when I returned, I would have received it back, paraphrase, with at least some interest. So take the bag of gold from him. Give it to the one who has 10 bags. For whoever has will be given more and they will have an abundance. Whoever does not have, even what they have will be taken from them. And throw that worthless slave outside into the darkness where there will be weeping and the gnashing of teeth. Woo! From the lips of Jesus. What's it all about? Telling us how to be faithful to God. Telling us how to be faithful to God. Verse 14. Here's what it will be like, Jesus says. And they're saying to him, when are you coming back? When's the new age? He says, here's what it will be like. What he was really saying is, here's what this age will be like until I return. A man, a master, goes on a journey. And it's a long journey. It's been 2,000 years now. A long journey. He gives to those who are his servants massive wealth. The five bags of gold equivalent of about $5 million. The two bags of gold equivalent to about $2 million. The one bag of gold, about $1 million. He gives to those who are his servants massive wealth to invest on his behalf. You say, well, is that talking about money? If so, you know, probably 10 or 20% of us here wouldn't have that much. That was a joke. Maybe one or two in the whole church might have that much to invest, right? Okay. So, is it talking about money? No. 
Here's where this comes in. Here's where faithfulness comes in. When the Son of Man left, He sent the Holy Spirit, and the Holy Spirit infuses us with massive wealth. It is the wealth of spiritual gifts. And if you don't know your spiritual gifts, you've been given at least one supernatural, what my wife Marie calls superpowers. Incidentally, she's just finishing, written a wonderful booklet called Essentials for how to understand the essentials of the Christian faith. And I got this from her, actually, okay? Superpowers are the super gifts. You have at least one. You may have two or three or four. Because remember, he says here, the amount of gold given to each one was based on the abilities that they had been given. We're all given different gifts. Secondly, you've been given a massive investment of his character because God, who is perfect and virtuous in all ways, now dwells in you, and he will never be satisfied until he's birthed all the fruit in you, and they grow, and they adorn, and they take over your life. That's the gold. And he's saying, until I come back, invest it. So the bottom line is, what's this about? While we are waiting, the way we show God we're faithful is to invest our God-led life, the gifts and the fruit, into our needy, breaking world. I'll say that again. To invest our God-led life into a needy and a breaking world world you know you're hearing us talk about service every week it's not that we need you to serve so we can keep the church running you need to serve because that's how you invest what god has given you not just in your church in your neighborhood in your workplace we are sent to invest who we are well there's some implications number one in this story number one life's going to be an adventure Notice what it doesn't say. Until I return, just sit still and, you know, uh, sing songs to me. Just do that. I'll be back soon. No. He says, You're, I'm going to put you on a grand adventure. What I've infused in you, you don't even know where it's going. You don't even know exactly how it's going to be invested. But suffice it to say, your life is not going to be boring. Number one, the second implication is we're not equal in talent. One got five, one got two, one got one. There's no measurement of how much talents or how much God has invested in you in special gifts and, and, and fruit. But all that matters is effort. Invest what you've been given. Some people say, oh, why, why should I try to do anything? I can't speak like that. Why should I, why should I try to do anything? I can't do art like that. No, but you can do what God's given you. and That's what he values. Third implication. You know what the reward for success is? When you really hit it, two things. One, you hear him say, well done, good and faithful servant. Enter my joy. Three of the fruit contained in, the, in that verse of encouragement. Well done. Good and faithful servants. Hey, enjoy me. <laughs> I love it. It's the joy thing all over the place. That's number one. The second thing that happens when you're good at it, investing what he's given you, is you get more to do. See? 
Those who have five turned it into ten, and then at the end Jesus says, give that guy another one. I'm going to give you a lot more to do now. So I guess retirement's out of question. Wherever we are, wherever we live, whatever our station, we are to invest his gifts and his virtues into the world of need. What I did with this this week is I started thinking about, okay, what roles do I play in life? And how are the gifts and the virtues faithfully being moved through me? As, and I put as a husband, as a father, as a grandfather, as a minister pastor, as a Christian leader, as a professor, as a writer, as a friend, as a neighbor, as a co-worker, as a citizen of this world. I had like 10 roles. I started to say, how are my gifts and the virtues of character being poured in? It was helpful, I suggested to you. Some of you are thinking, I really, don't, I really don't have much to give, and I fail a lot more than I succeed. I do too. What I want you to not do, however, is let Satan bombard you with negativity. Read this quote that I uh, received this week from one of our church members. Uh, Charity Lane put this on her Facebook account. Don't listen to the devil. The devil knows your name, but he calls you by your sins. Jesus knows your sin, but he calls you by name. That's who Jesus sees you as. Not all your failures and sins. Okay? Well, it causes me to say, number one, faithfulness. What a powerful, powerful inner attribute in its relationship to others and its relationship to God to serve him until the end of time. I, I, I think I have time for this story now, but since I don't know, I'll just do it anyway. Um, it was just, just about four years ago exactly when I had the chance to spend my last time with Billy Graham. And I had worked in his organization, uh, and, and, they, and then he heard that I was leaving to come to Wheaton Bible Church, and he said, the king from North Carolina said, I want to see Lon before he leaves. And so I had one more final chance to be with him. He was 94 when I was with him. He's 98 now. He turns 99 in November. In fact, we're working on books regarding his life because we think we'll, he'll live to 100 or longer now. Listen, I was on the first memorial planning committee for Billy Graham. All the rest of the committee has died. Uh, <laughs> I'm not kidding. They're like on the third generation of those planning Billy's funeral. Yeah, because he just outlives them all. Uh, so, so when I'm with him at 94... We're talking, and he was very gracious, and his mind was bright and attentive that day. And I was no more than a couple feet from him. And David, his dear friend David, uh, was with him. And, and Mr. Graham at one point pauses, and he looks over, and he says, David, shall we tell Lon? And David's going, what should we tell Lon? And Billy goes, should we tell him what I'm going to do next? And David goes, Okay. <laughs> says, I have one more book I want to write. 
His eyes were glowing. They were dancing. The idea was in his head. He knew where it was going. He has now written that book. He gets a lot of help, incidentally, in writing his books. But it's his content. 94, he was thinking of what's next, Lord? That's what it is to be faithful to God. Okay? Well, we can't end without hanging on verse 30. Boy, talk about elephant in the room. And throw the worthless servant, the one who didn't invest his life or her life, throw that person outside into the darkness where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. What's that about? In other words, is my salvation based on how much I serve Jesus Christ? No, that can't be right. The scriptures from page 1 to page 1001 are all about our goodness never being enough to earn God's justification, but he justifies us anyway. Okay, so it isn't that, but a parable will often hyperbolize to make a point. And that's what this is here. Nothing more deeply disappoints the God who loves you than for us to not invest what we've been given in the needy world. And then, if you read verse 30 again, this will blow your mind. And I got this from N.T. Wright. When Jesus speaks of someone being thrown into the darkness, we must never forget that he himself was on the way into the darkness, where even he would sense himself abandoned by God. Jesus will throw Jesus into the darkness where he will receive the penalty for all sin and be abandoned my God, by God and cry out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? So this is about him and part of what he pays for the sins of non-investment. Don't let that guilt you. Let that inspire you. He even knew you would need forgiveness for not investing your life fully. That's okay. He is in you. He is surging. Read this quote of Billy Graham as I get ready to leave and finish. He is the source of power who meets our need to escape from the miserable weakness that grips us. He is the source of power who meets our need to escape from the miserable weakness that grips us. He gives us the power to be faithful. He gives us the power to be truly good. And he invites us into his joy as we are doing it. Friends, only God can do this. So surrender again. Say, God, forgive me for thinking I could be good without you. I can't. Fill me with your faithfulness. You know, folks, even the superheroes get their abilities from outside sources. Yeah, Captain America and Hulk, it's some crazy serum stuff. Spider-Man gets a spider bite. Iron Man, science. Thor, Wonder Woman, they're gods. It all comes from other source. But listen to this. The God 
the only God, the God who has died for your sins and risen from the dead, places his life in yours to be a fruitful, virtuous, faithful woman or man. Let's pray. Because, God, it takes faith to be faithful, I pray that you would infuse everyone here with a deeper longing for you to come to know you or to grow in you so that they can be infused with gifts, with powers, with character and virtue to invest their lives in our needy world. Oh, Lord, hear my prayers. Amen.